0: Welcome to The Marketect, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Marketect is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders, chief marketing officers, and their go-to-market partners. Each episode will help you unlock your professional potential as our guests share how they build impactful teams and optimize their go-to-market. This podcast is presented by Pavilion, powered by Casted, and produced by Share Your Genius. Welcome and enjoy the show.
1: Most product marketing leaders, CMOs, CROs that I speak to, most have the same problem. Big company, small company, high growth, just starting out. Most have a pretty good product, but they struggled to clearly explain it, whether on their homepage, whether through their first call deck, which features or benefits should they highlight? Do we lead with the benefit as most have been taught? How do you speak to different customer types that they sell into? Well, fear not. My guest today, these two cats can truly help you get a clear and compelling message that reduces friction for your buyer. Full disclosure, I rarely feature just vendors on the podcast. But I had to have these two in. They didn't pay me anything to be here. After 20 years in tech, I know who provides value to my beloved product marketing people, folks like April Dunford, Emma Stratton, Leslie Talbot, Julian Savage, And these two are getting to that top of the list. If you don't know who they are, please do look them up. They are a fantastic resource, not just for us product marketers, but for CEOs of high growth companies, CROs, CMOs. All these individuals can use their services to help clarify the story and clearly message what it is they do. As a sidebar, product marketing. What do we do? Where do we play? We are, again, helping those who build understand what to build. We help those who sell have conversations that win. Product marketing helps your company position to win. We help the company position to win. Win is the acronym. W I N, who are you choosing to serve? Who are you going to win with? And who are you going to win against your competitors? What is the impact? The I and Win is impact. What is that impact that you need to provide your customers against their jobs to be done? They hire you for their jobs to be done. And then in turn, what is the impact you're going to have on their business? And then finally, what is the narrative that you're going to have both for your internal stakeholders so they can go create the greatest campaigns they can create, go have conversations that win. And also for your actual customers. So that's what we in product marketing do. And product marketers, CMOs, CROs that are listening in can really stand to benefit from these two individuals because they help you get a very clear message and story as to what you do and for whom. Anthony, Anthony, Robert, we're going to talk about positioning, messaging, how to differentiate yourself, how to build trust and credibility with your target audience. And the first thing we're going to get going on is the difference between positioning and messaging. Let's level set on that first.
2: Let's do it. Thank you, Rowan. Uh, I'll take the first crack at that, and Anthony can can chime in here, and you'll also get a little glimpse of how we even work. We love to debate and talk through our concepts. So we're excited to join you and do that today. So when we look at positioning, we we definitely adopt the, I think April Dunford, I don't know if she's actually the person who coined this, but it's the place you live in a prospect's mind. The thing about that though, is it's very theoretical. It's like, how do you then work on your positioning? Like, is this some inception exercise to get your product in their mind? And that's where, when we look at messaging, we, we view that mostly as the expression of your positioning. And so the connecting those two, they go hand in hand where positioning is more of that theoretical piece and messaging becomes the action element of your positioning. Anthony, I don't know if you have something to add there.
1: Yeah.
3: And I would even go beyond that positioning is multi-level depending on the maturity of your company. So as other people have pointed out, there is a if you're a single product startup, your company positioning and your product start like your Product positioning are essentially the same thing, but as you expand and you start to become either a platform or a collection of different products, your positioning moves up and becomes potentially broader, slightly less specific. And so Robert and I, we break positioning into two different levels. We say positioning for the market and positioning for market segments. So oftentimes when you have a company that is serving lots of different use cases and target customers you might need to have your positioning be slightly less specific in order to speak across all your different segments. And so we actually think about it, we call them positioning anchors, where you can anchor your positioning on a shared problem that could be across all the different customer segments or a product category that's understood across them all or a specific group. And so we have a couple of different ways that you can anchor your positioning that speaks across the entire market. But then when you get down to individual segments, That's when you actually start to get really specific, fill out the entire mad lib of we're competing with these different products, and here's how we're better than them, and this is the product category, and we're for this specific role in your company, and all those different decisions that fill out the position of your company get a lot more specific when you're talking to one individual segment rather than trying to speak to the entire market that you're going after.
1: Love it. So positioning is the context setting first and foremost across the market that you're choosing to play in. And then positioning is also helps you with context setting for every segment that you choose to serve within that market. Love it. And then the messaging helps fill in the blank. Yeah, really deliver the positioning to
3: the customers in a way that will make the most sense for them. So if you're taking this high level positioning and delivering it to a specific segment, You're going to use slightly different words, slightly different variations of the value proposition, how you talk about the problem, how you talk about the features and the capabilities may change slightly. if you're selling a product like Salesforce into financial services companies or into large healthcare companies, you're going to use different ways of messaging that same core product to explain it and have the value proposition resonate more for the different groups. So it's sort of like the transportation method of getting the positioning to the different groups.
1: Brilliant. So let's go to the next question here, building off that. Most high growth organizations are led by, for the most part, a tech oriented CEO, tech oriented founder who's who's done a good job of building a product for a job to be done. And then they get stuck with how can they, how should they approach the manner by which they explain this product? This is a simple question, but a complex answer, perhaps. How should B2B companies explain their product slash solution?
3: Very simple question, very complex answer. This was actually the question me and Rob sought to figure out when we started doing our product marketing work together. And when we started looking around, there's a lot of different people's frameworks and templates, and a lot of them are very one size fits all. Here's what you do. Here's the ultimate way to explain your product this is the ultimate positioning mad lib and what we quickly realized was that it's much more complex than one single template will tell you and then beyond that all the templates used very different words and even using the same words they often meant different things so not only was it no shared vocabulary there were some people would talk about value some people would talk about benefits Some people would talk about competing alternatives. Other people would call it a consideration set. So there's a big, vast group of words that we all just throw around. And so not only not everyone's not using the same words, but when they say the same words, they don't always mean the same thing. One person could call a feature and someone else could call that same feature actually a benefit. Uh, If there's no shared language, there's no way to build anything on top of that. You can never Uh even assess What is good, what is bad, because everyone's
1: just talking past each other. So the first establish of shared language here for the rest of this conversation at least, then what are the, the key terms that we will use for the rest of this conversation that people need to level set on? Yeah. And we
3: actually break it down to eight different elements. So when you think about the market segment on the top side, you have four different ways of explaining who they are. And we're talking B2B. You have a Persona, which we use very broadly. That term has a lot of loaded meaning. We have not found a great replacement for it for what we're trying to say, but we're really talking about a specific title or a specific team or a specific function in a company. So we use that collectively to be called a persona, but people who know what a persona really is know that it comes with a lot of baggage. We're really just talking about. Is this a marketing manager? Is this a marketing team? So that's the first one, the persona. And
2: on that note, it's who's going to be on the receiving end of this message. And the specificity is going to go back and depend on, well, where are you messaging this? Again, is this the high level positioning of just explaining it to multiple segments? Or are you going very, very specific? And So that one can move a little bit up and down.
3: Yep. And then you have a type of company. So we would call that the company type. And that's a collection of different attributes of Is this a company of a certain size? Is it a company of a certain revenue? Is it a specific industry? Is it small business or mid-market? Or is it a combination of these things? The type of company you're trying to target is basically you're building a segment based on all these different slices. So we have persona, company type, and then we have a context box. So we have like a framework with these different boxes. The context box is essentially sort of like jobs to be done world, but it's really like what are they doing today? outside of your product being in their lives. So what are they trying to do? How are they doing it? And then we have a problem box, which is really, how is that breaking? So in that four four different elements kind of gives you the market segment. A person in a specific company, in a specific context, facing a specific problem. And all of those things, like Rob said, have different levels to them. Then you bring in your product. And now your product has to effectively message against those four elements and speak their language to draw out what the value actually is. And so the four pieces of that are product category or service category if you're talking about a service business. But product category primarily is if you think about shelves at the grocery store, where does your product live? Is it a brand new shelf and you're trying to convince the grocery store that, hey, you need to have a whole new category just for us. That's like the category creation folks would talk that way. Or are you standing out as a subcategory of a well-known category. So Rob likes to use the example of in the aisle of mustard, there recently was spicy mustard. That's a newer invention, a subcategory of mustard. Or I like to say honey. Now there is spicy honey or hot honey, as they call it. So product category. And then you have three pieces, capabilities, features, and benefits. We found that the difference between features and benefits was too wishy-washy. And so we realized that there was actually a missing piece, capabilities. A capability is really a product capability. What can I do with this tool that is a brand new unlock that I couldn't do before? Something that's really zero to one. So if you think of Uber, I'm able to get a car to come and pick me up with the touch of a button. That's essentially a capability. It's a zero to one new ability that I couldn't do before that now I can. The feature is the technical aspect that makes that possible. So it's the ride sharing platform. It could be the actual UX experience where I'm going in, selecting where I am and saying where I want to go. Those are features that make the capability possible. And then the benefit is the last piece. And that's really the outcome. It's, all right, well, if I do that, if I get from A to Z, what did that achieve for me? And it's usually a state change, an increase of something good or a decrease of something bad, sometimes even a removal of something bad. The benefit in the Uber example might be I get where I'm going a lot faster than I would have before. Or it could be without having to deal with the hassle of trying to flag down a taxi. Any of those are benefit statements. So really between those eight different elements, we kind of get the basis of all product marketing. There is the final stage, which is sort of outside of our framework, which is value, which is how much is that benefit worth to different groups of people? Saving time on your drive to work would have a different value depending on if I'm talking to a CEO who's trying to get from point A to point B for a really important board meeting, or if I'm talking to someone who's just getting a ride home from a party and they got a little crazy and they need a, you know, a way like a designated driver. The value is different, but we see the value as being so subjective for the end users that usually when we're talking about doing product marketing, we stay away from diving into here's the value for you because it really is so individualized. We stay more on what we know and what we can actually control, which is those four elements on the market segment and the four elements on the
1: product. I love it. So now we have a shared language for the rest of this conversation. We're going to get back to the eight question How should B2B companies explain their product and solution? And you keep in mind, from a market perspective, understand the persona, type of company, context, problem box. And then from a product perspective, be crystal on the product category, capabilities, features, and then benefits. Yeah. The ninth, which we won't talk about really, is the value because that's subjective by persona, really, and, and, mm-hmm. and who's buying this thing and for what job to be done. Going back to how should B2B companies explain their product and solution.
2: And yeah. I, I could jump in here at a high level, then Anthony could probably walk through the detail. Uh, and there's some similarities even to your win framework that you have introduced at the beginning. So within our framework, ultimately, you have to uncover who are you communicating with? So you'll notice that we started the elements around persona and company type because that sort of sets the stage, like the platform of where your message is going to begin. Absolutely. Our additional elements of context and problem highly hinge on who they are and where they exist in terms of company types. And you'll see this when we walk out the example. So let's figure out who the heck you're messaging to and then meeting them where they are. So this is where our context and our problem elements end up being kind of like the hinge of our message quite a bit. And once you have that, one of the biggest fundamental things that we've noticed, and again, we work primarily with early stage startups, is contrary to a lot of marketers out there with their advice of like, tell them the value, tell them the benefit. We actually say it's most common that you should be leading with capability. Tell them what the heck they actually get out of your product that addresses their situation and problem. And then you can follow on with the other elements. And so that's the overview and Anthony's example will be much more specific so you guys can see how this works.
1: I want to pause there for a second and and kudos to what you just said. For quite some time, we were taught lead with the benefit, but in and age where the buyer is 60%, there's the Gartner stat, the famous Gartner stat, 60 to 70% of the journey has been done themselves by talking to their peers, doing their own research. So they're very in the know, very in the know about what, for the most part, they need. So yeah. if you meet them with the capability versus the benefit, which again, may not be for them. And Most often when I see homepages with benefit statements, they're fluffy, they're 30,000 feet in the sky. I don't know what the hell they're trying yep. to tell me. But to your point, If there's a specific capability that meets their job to be done, then you're getting a meeting of the mind sooner rather than later, less friction.
2: I want to pull on a thread that Anthony brought up in the beginning that we found is if you're overly explicit on the benefit, if you're telling your customer, here's exactly the value you're going to get, on its surface, it sounds good. But as Anthony noted, the benefit's highly personal to the individual. And so if you take a really basic product like you're a fitness person and you have a workout program, And you're here to like help someone get healthy. The actual benefit to the person who uses that is going to be highly dependent. Some people, they want to lose weight. Some people want to prepare for an Ironman. Some people want to look good for their spouse. It's like you coming in and expressing this is what you should feel at the end, in a lot of ways, is anti-customer centric. Uh, So that's something we've just noticed in piecing this together for a lot of companies. It's like not being too explicit upfront until they understand what you're solving for and how... Uh, in the rest of your message from a capability standpoint.
1: Love it. So I I apologize. I cut you off before. So you said start with who you are communicating with, then meet them where they are. Please, please continue.
2: Yep. Uh, And maybe it's even better for Anthony to dive into the example because when we talk about meet them, what they are, like what does that mean? So maybe Anthony, it might make sense to walk them through what our message looks like. You know, we run Fletch. So you guys can get kind of a, a look behind the scenes of how we break down our core positioning and start to translate that into the messaging. Yeah,
1: And did you bring some show and tell today?
2: I did. I did. Let me share.
3: I'll share my screen. So this is actually me and Rob have been working through our own positioning and messaging because we have, as we've expanded, we've gotten sharper around the people we're going after, the specific context and use case, why someone would work with us. And so we often say this to the companies that we work with, you should refresh, especially if you're a startup, you should be refreshing your positioning once every few months, where when you're a later stage, it's a lot, it's like a giant ship that you're trying to turn. So you might only do it once every 18 months or so. But if you're a startup, you kind of want to be narrowing down and shifting the positioning in an ongoing way. So this was actually our most recent take at our own positioning as product marketing consultants. So when we look at this, if you for people who are just listening on audio, we have some rows with different boxes in them. So top row, we have the category box, a persona box and a company type. So category for me and Rob, we would say that we're product marketing consultants with the tweak like the spicy mustard versus regular mustard. We actually help you do the work where a lot of consultants come in to give you advice and they leave. We'll actually go beyond that and give you some of the the actual tangible deliverables. And this was actually a very strategic decision. And and this is where startups need to think about this especially is we could have called ourselves an agency that focuses just on website messaging, but that's actually not quite the right place to put us because agencies, they bring in a lot of custom scopes and statements of work. and That's not what we do. And so if we positioned ourselves as an agency, what ends up happening is we get compared unfavorably to agencies that they've worked with in the past who do a lot of custom work and will tackle lots of different things for them. The
2: perception totally opposite. It's like yep. they think we're high priced. They think we build by the hour. They think we have large teams and we're going to do all this white gloves. And it's just that's actually directly it, like the inverse of how we've built our programs to be.
3: Even along those lines, right? We don't really neatly fit in a consultant bucket either. So we, this is what we tell startups to do rather than trying to invent some sort of new category. We're still trying to anchor on something they know to create a a common language and then just tweaking it. But we're a little different than the average one you've worked with. So personas we're trying to target are the founders, plain and simple. And then in types of company, we're working with early stage B2B, horizontal SaaS companies that have raised anywhere between seed to series A. Obviously. Like all product companies, we will get people reaching out who don't fit in that extremely narrow box. But by targeting that extremely narrow box, it makes the messaging so much clearer and actually tells a more consistent story that even people outside of that little narrow slice will get quicker than if we had stayed broader. So we find that the more niche and narrow we go, conversely, the more people who actually understand what it is that we do. So if you go down one layer, the next row, we have a this is kind of the high level we talked about earlier. The main context, the main problem, the main capability, and the main benefit. So this is for us like the company level positioning. So we say the main context of these people that we're trying to work with, they're likely doing a post-funding website refresh and they know that their positioning is probably gonna have to be updated because they've acquired a lot of new customer types and use cases since they initially made their site. So that's like the context that we're targeting. But the main problem is, They're struggling to explain the product now in a clear and consistent way that makes sense across all these segments and use cases. So the main capability, this is the big unlock we give them, is we will help them figure out the best way to position and message their product on their homepage of their website with the main benefit being so the positioning is clearly and concisely and relevantly expressed to the people that they're trying to go after. So that's like the high level piece. And then we have these three rows that we would call our values, like value propositions, which is how we accomplish that first main capability, main benefit. So this says subcontext, struggling moment, subcapability, feature, and sub benefit. And I'll just read one of these. We won't have to go through all of them just so that you can right, get it.
1: Anthony, us and just to double click. So the first two rows, how would you summarize that? What are you doing there? This
3: is usually what we're trying to accomplish, at least as much as we can in the hero. Messaging of a web page, so all this right. is really like when you think about it, it's the shorthand of what the company does. It's okay. like the elevator pitch. How do you explain what Fletch is? Well, you know, when people raise money and they're trying to redo their website, it's really hard to know how to pick all the different things, which features do I highlight, which capabilities. We're basically a product marketing consultancy that comes in and helps you figure that out and then actually makes you a way a web page wireframe. That will be useful to your end users and customers. So, like, right. it's like, that's essentially what we're highlighting in that in that top section. And then the follow on conversation, which is like, well, how do you do that? How do you actually help me fix that problem? That's where these three sub rows come in that are more specifically about the value propositions. So, sub context one, you might know that your positioning and messaging isn't as good as it could be, struggling moment, but you're not exactly sure why it's bad. Sub capability is how we counteract that problem we assess your current positioning to see where it's broken feature with an audit of your current website. So we actually go in and look at all the different pages to assess what really is your cohesive positioning. Maybe it might not be so cohesive. And then the sub benefit is that is so that you can get a better understanding of why prospects right now are getting confused and maybe not seeing the value of the product. Pause there because I know this is a lot to take in, especially if you're you're just listening audio, you don't have the visual
1: Yeah, and we're going to share this framework with everyone, but I I love it. So you start with, why should you even care to have a conversation with us? And then you get into the very specific value drivers that are pertinent to that persona, that type of company. I love this. Now, for an organization that is entering a mature category, lots of competitors in there. What are the few things here in this canvas that you need to focus on for differentiation, especially?
3: Yeah, great question. So really, depending on the product category maturity, you're going to choose one of two types of differentiation. We actually call these either contextual differentiation or competitive differentiation. So the canvas that I just showed now is very much contextual differentiation. It's saying this is the context you're in and the problems that you're dealing with in that context. And here's how we solve them because we're not in a super mature service category that everyone knows what a product marketing consultancy like us does really, it's, it's pretty niche. And so we have to not differentiate and say, here's why we're better than the other product marketing consultancies you might be looking at and really more say, here's why we're better than the way that you're doing things today. But when you are in a mature product category, I like to give the example of a new, like the browser company is a brand new web browser they come out of the scene, the first question everyone asks is, well, why would I switch from Chrome to a brand new web browser? So for them, it's less of here's the context you're in and more it's here's the weaknesses of using Chrome versus the capabilities and features and benefits of using the browser company's Arc browser. So we actually tweak this canvas just a little bit. And I can show you over here where this subcontext becomes competitor feature like this, the second one becomes competitor feature two. And the third becomes competitor feature three. And then rather than a struggling moment, it becomes the weakness of the feature. You basically are mapping the capabilities of your product against the weaknesses of your competitors. So you can show very quickly, here's how we're so much better than what you're doing today. And the browser company has a lot of examples of that. When you have a million tabs open in your Chrome window, they just sit there and are stale and make your computer slow. The Arc browser will actually automatically close tabs that you haven't looked at after a specified time. So that capability framed not against some sort of contextual thing, but framed against a direct competitor's feature and saying, this is why that's bad and here's why
2: ours is better. And the the piece I'll add to this too, and like, when do you use which? What we're really looking for in that question of how mature the category is, is what's going to be most resonated with in the message in other words like what should we anchor to where they go oh i get what they're talking about early stage new category really immature there's nothing to anchor to it's just too new late stage by mentioning even big names and a lot of companies are afraid to do this but it actually can make you easier in understanding what your product does and ultimately where your value is going to take them
1: brilliant great ad rob and so we just explained how to explain your product and solution using the discipline. And again, if you're not taking a disciplined approach to storytelling, it's just going to mean fluff. And so use the product canvas as a disciplined approach to explaining the product solution. Then the step after that is after having a good grasp of what it is you do and who it's for, how can folks start to build trust and credibility with their specific chosen target audience. They've identified who they want to win with. How can they start to build trust and credibility with this audience?
2: Yeah, when it comes to building trust, ultimately it's about connecting with the situation of your target customer. Their perspective is really all that matters. And where you asked early on in the conversation of the builder and seller aspect, I'm a technical founder, they're building my products, I have this MVP, maybe I'm beyond an MVP, I have early traction. And they think, all right, I got to go sell this thing. How do I start building more distribution? There's this tendency to say, well, I got to go start talking about my product. More people need to hear about this. And sure, that's part of it. But the reality is, they don't give a rip about your product, at the, especially at the beginning. They don't know who the hell you are. They don't really know what you do yet. You haven't proven anything to them. We even talk about this in, with a pretty extreme example of like, let's say you're the world's best doctor in the world, uh, and you have this cure for, let's say, knees. I've had a lot of knee surgeries. So that one's front of mind to me. And let's say that person, that doctor, came up to me on the street and said, I can fix all your knee problems. I'm the best doctor in the world. I'm not only going to ignore that doctor, I'm I'm going to be pretty upset because he's just being selfish, talking about himself. There's no trust. There's no credibility. And so ultimately, when we think about building trust and credibility, you have to start messaging primarily around my situation, my problems, trends that I care about. Those are kind of the three pillars that we often like lean into. And this a lot of times builds up a demand generation strategy. So using the same example, that doctor, instead of saying, I'm the best doctor in the world, I can fix your knee problems. What if to start building trust as he walks by me, he goes, Hey, I noticed you have a little bit of a a slight bend in the way you walk on your knee. Like, did you ever have surgeries before? and immediately my i changed because it's like well well yes i have like the trust is starting to increase and then i let him deliver another message because he's earned that that right to go a little bit beyond it ultimately it's talking about trends problems and their insights but you have to be pretty tactical about the sequencing of these things in order to initiate a conversation with these prospects. Another way to think about it is the problems and struggles, a lot of times are the symptoms that people experience. Some people will call them trigger moments. This is happening, my hair's on fire. When we think about trends, they're sort of uh, the unseen things that are kind of leading into that problem. It's like, why is your hair on fire? Well, the building's on fire, right? Like they're the thing that happens before. And so a lot of times trends are these more, these slower moving big picture things around what's happening in the industry, What's happening with customer behavior that's starting to shape these situations kind of going back to our model that context and then in those new situations that are happening those problems arise so when you talk about trends you're really talking about these big picture change like elements that are ultimately going to impact your customers and those are the things i care about as a customer like those are my in a lot of words i mean you hear about all these companies like looking for the next big opportunity. like Those are built on shifting trends, ultimately, in customer behavior, in regulations, in market dynamics. Uh, and those are the things that you want to hit on. And they can often act as a beacon for customers to come find you and seek you out. I think there's a lot of similarities to what Anthony and I do in our content marketing. We talk about trends with startups, what's working, what's not. And like People come to us because they go, wow, I didn't think of it that way. That's probably why I have this problem. And then we have this dialogue. We have this opportunity then, once we land on these problems, insights, and our point of view related to their challenges, now we can introduce our product. And that's where you start messaging around capabilities, features, and benefits.
1: So you're planting the seed of credibility. You're showcasing empathy. You're putting yourself in their shoes. You're starting to build that trust. The bridge from there to then, at some point, we all have to sell and sell something, the that delicate bridge how are you making that bridge to then talking about yourself
2: yeah the interesting thing is the bridge becomes easy if you do if you properly establish credibility and trust they'll almost be begging you to say well, what do you do about this and anthony and i are a perfect example and this even goes back to branding and some other things for the first 6 months of our existence we didn't have a brand or a company we were literally just sharing these thoughts around trends, around problems, our, pe- our point of view of why things are happening. And people would come to us and literally say, I think you can help me. And then like, we had this platform where, to be honest, when you do this right, we could have talked about our product however we wanted and probably still had some connection with the message. But what we would say to really sharpen that is just be really explicit. What do you do for them? The bridge to us ultimately goes back to our model is capabilities. What's the unlock of your way? And this starts to get into like, how do you approach our specific situation and problem? And what do I get out of it? Once they understand that, then again, it's about earning that sequential message. The next message you could say, well, and here's how we do that, features. Here's the technology, the service, the experience, the things that power the capability that go into that. And once you have them tracking on, okay, this is what you unlock for me. I get how you get there. Now they can start to cast the value, that benefit element that we have. Well, I can really see this improving something for me or removing this obstacle that I have in front of me. And so this is where we're connecting all the dots. It looks and feels very linear. But what we've found is that this is a lot of back and forth. So you need all of these elements that kind of play with each other. And you're doing it again. Kind of the core of this is what's the perspective of the target customer versus the how do I blast my product in front of people? That's just counterintuitive. A lot of these early stage founders actually do.
3: To add uh, Rob, one more thing to what Rob was saying about capabilities, we see it the big problem with leading with the benefits is they could potentially all look the same. So for example, if you're saying I'm trying to have a nice meal for the for tonight, right? You could have three different types of companies give you a value proposition and on their homepage it could say, have the best meal tonight. And that could be a grocery store, it could be a delivery service, or it could be a private chef. And so the how, you can come and pick up stuff from our grocery store to make a great meal, or you can order from any of the restaurants in your neighborhood, or this person is gonna come to your house and cook you the best meal of your life. That's actually the part that people care about. And so if all three of those different companies lead with, you know, have a great meal, which is the benefit, the outcome, You've lost all the differentiation and it actually is less customer centric because customers want to know the how, because it will determine things like, do I want to spend money on that? Is that the type of thing I want? It'll answer all the questions because they will have already pre-decided, well, I know that I want to have a good meal tonight. And so if you just say, we'll help you have a good meal tonight, you're not actually telling them the information that they actually need to hear, which is, well, how are you going to do it? Are you going to cook for me? Are you going to give me ingredients or are you going to? basically send the food that's pre-made to me through a driver
1: brilliant i love this it's so tangible and you guys take it yet another step forward and turn this into something that everyone will see your home page messaging before we go there most b2b buying groups have it's a committee there's different personas and there. there's different folks with different agendas are you changing this messaging guide by persona? Speak to us about different for larger buying committees. How are you changing this or not? We actually say,
3: and we agree here with April, she actually said this in a podcast and I was like, she said it better than me and Rob have been saying it, but you essentially position and message to the champion. We used to say it, the person most likely to end up on your page and take the first action, but it really is the champion. It's you're trying to get the person who's going to make this deal happen in the company that's the person that you need to convince and position and message towards you can arm that person with the right materials to make that those other stakeholders happy a great example of this is reforge reforge is a product strategy product management upskilling a growth upskilling program for people in the industry and they target the end user but they know that the end user is usually not the buyer. It's often the manager or the director who's purchasing Reforge licenses for their team to upskill the whole team. So the end user is the one being targeted because they're going to be the champion. And Reforge actually, if you get into their buying flow and you get to the checkout page and you see the price and you don't check out, what Reforge will do is over a course of an email sequence, they will actually send you hey, are you struggling to convince your higher-ups that you should invest in Reforge? Here's an email template that you could use and you can tweak it for your company that basically makes the case, an ROI case, for the other decision makers. And it's pre-written. It's people in this have seen X amount increase. And like a lot of the people who are further from the problem and further from the product, they want to just know more ROI facts, like benefits. What is this actually going to do for us? Because they're not going to be in the weeds. And so you do have to arm that champion with that messaging. But at the same time, that person cares less about the ROI because they're already bought into the idea. If you've convinced them, they're in the the trenches using Reforge analogy. They're in the trenches struggling to solve these product related problems. And they already believe that Reforge is going to be the way for them to get the knowledge to be able to solve the problems. So then any consequential like second or third order messaging around, well, what would that actually do from a business case perspective? That's more for the other people. And you can definitely
2: provide that, but that's not what you lead with. You asked the question, Robin, are you filling out the model for different roles, personas? Yes. But as Anthony noted, there's going to be something you lead with, which dictates a priority. And so when you have limited resources, when you're building out your messaging, you really need to lean into these champions. You will have to solve for the other elements. They're just going to come up either in, if you're doing outbound sales and enterprise sales cycle, they're going to they're show up. At some point, the, who knows, director of sales you're talking with eventually needs to introduce you to their the IT lead, and you need to tell that person something. The short answer is yes, but prioritize who you lead with. And you can imagine that this sort of this model cascades down to the different levels. When you do those sub personas, like they don't need the full picture.
1: Well said. We explained how to explain your product, how to talk about your differentiation. Uh, how to build trust and credibility with your specific target audience. Now, imagine the champion that you just mentioned, the the person you want to lead your message with comes to your website. They're on your homepage. How do you position yourself from top to bottom on your homepage with all this other stuff done?
2: Another sort of big question, right? Even like the positioning question, because a lot of it's going to depend on how tuned are you in your positioning? Are we talking high level? Are you really early stage? You're kind of trying to be targeted, but ultimately you're really broad. You're just like, we're building this thing. We don't exactly know who it serves yet. and So there's some factors to consider along the way of maturity level of the company. How many segments are you going after? And at what level are you trying to even begin to establish a positioning, and then have it expressed on the website. Now, I'll bring this into the constraints we usually work with. Seed Series A companies, usually horizontal, so they've got a lot of segments on their mind. When we think about the homepage, and Anthony brought this up, this is where we talk about market positioning, which really is how do you explain the product in a way that's universal to all the segments you might serve? And anyone who's tried to do messaging knows how challenging this could be. The way we approach it specifically, we talk in terms of those eight elements. Oftentimes there's going to be one, two, sometimes three, we call them anchoring elements that establish that universal language that regardless of the situation you're in, you're going to understand that message. That's what we would recommend leading with on your homepage and often showing up in the hero. And then depending on the products, you either explain more about how the thing works as a way to explain the product to these audiences. And so that's homepage. And then you're leveraging what we would call landing pages, the use case pages, persona pages, industry pages, where you're notching down that positioning and messaging an additional level. And when you're speaking at that level, those messages actually are a lot easier to build. You're more dialed in. You can use more of our elements across those eight that we mentioned to be very specific in the message. And so holistically, that's how we approach it.
1: And so when you talk about your anchoring, can you give me an example of maybe a couple? Like, what are you anchoring to? Is it the category? Is it the capability?
3: We take our eight elements and we kind of boil them down to six for the anchors. So the who really gets collapsed into company type, the persona, and then actually the context. A lot of early stage startups, the use case becomes the unifying piece of who so for example uber the use case might be i need to get from point a to point b quickly hmm. and that's lots of different people but they all share that same use case so this who actually becomes a combination of either company type persona or context
2: and notion's then- another one while you're on who it's like early note taking it's like people who take a lot of notes right that could mean a lot of different people that's what they would kind of anchor on in that use case early on.
3: So really you have these six different anchors and most of the time in a hero, especially early stage, you can probably get away with two to three. If you're a little bit more horizontal, obviously, if you're very dialed in and you're going after one specific segment, like Rob and I, we could probably get all six into the hero because we are targeting a very specific group in a very specific instance that's facing the same problem. But a lot of software companies that we work with, especially are very horizontal. And so they serve lots of different things. So they might only get to one or two or three of these best case scenario. We have actually like six different versions of this, depending on which one you lead with. So we call this one the super specific who, and we've used the example of Canva. It's really for people who aren't designers, right? We do have product category in there, but the primary thing is the second line right here, people who aren't designers. We're pulling in some capabilities and features, but really this type of hero is really anchored on a specific who. Then if you anchor on the problem, which is kind of what Loom used to do, they've since moved away from this, which me and Rob actually think is a mistake, but Loom for a while was anchored on the problem of meetings are terrible and everyone hates them and you don't get anything done, so send a Loom instead. So the way they led with was Loom on, meetings off. So they're leading with the problem and then they actually shared the main capability and the main benefit right there in the hero. We call this one the category differentiator, which is really if you're in the... Very mature category, and people are immediately asking, Well, why would I switch to you over anyone else? We use the web browser, the browser company example, but you could easily also imagine like DuckDuckGo, right? It's a search engine that doesn't steal your data. So, anchoring on the existing product category and show it's how it's different. The fourth one, I think, if I'm counting right, we call it the how to, which is leading with the big unlock. And so, Uber, this would make sense, push a button get a ride. And it's more of capabilities framed in steps, like sequential steps to explain how you would actually utilize this unlock, right? Choose your destination, get picked up by a vetted driver, pay through the app. That sort of is the end to end unlock. And this works really well when you have like a crazy new capability that doesn't really exist. If Uber was positioning now, they would not want to lead with this because ride sharing has become a very saturated market and everyone knows what it means. And even when you get big enough, You don't actually usually position based on product marketing anymore. You position based on brand. So once everything matures enough, it's really just the strength of the brand. Do I like Uber or do I like Lyft more? Which one speaks more to me as an end user? Then the last two, if you lead with the feature, the feature no one has. This was when uh, Nokia came out with a phone with five different cameras. I'm not even necessarily sure what that benefit is or what the problem it solves, but it's pretty cool. And you might even see now, too, like the foldable phones. When they first came out and they could fold in half and it was a smartphone, it was a very cool feature. And when you're the first one who folds, you just lead with the folding, right? You don't hide it. You say, look at it. Here's the smartphone you know, and it folds in half. Um, and then the last one is we call it the big promise, which is really leading with that big benefit. And so this is a company we know called Butter. They basically stop what they call accidental churn, which is people who come to the product, try to pay for it, and the card gets declined for a mistake. And then they never come back. So they go and they recover that and they can actually pretty much guarantee that they're gonna increase your top line revenue by 5% if you just turn this on. So sometimes when you have a big enough benefit, it makes sense to lead with it. Another guy that I saw, he runs a LinkedIn pro program where he basically says, I'll get you, I think it's to 20,000 followers in the first year. That's such a powerful statement and you understand the context so well that leading with the benefit and the promise actually makes sense. So we really see that those six different styles, these then cascade down into what sections you include on the page. So if you lead with the problem solver, you probably want to have a dedicated section talking about the problem, really diving into the nuances of what it is. If you're leading with the benefits, the big promise one, you probably want to have detailed case studies here. So this company Increase their revenue by this amount. And here's how. So, when you anchor at the top on one of one or two or three of the elements, it does cascade down into the rest of the page and sort of determine what types of sections you include or don't include. And
2: I'll add this, Rowan, you asked the question how do you know what you lead with? You essentially have to smoke test those anchors. And what you look for when you walk out, like the main piece, when you summarize it, is does that make what you do clear? If you're basically filtering on, is that compelling alone? Did people talk about that. Would they understand that? To the point where you almost have to like write out each and then see which ones are the most compelling. The ones that are the most compelling, the most clear left over are usually the ones you should lead with. And then it's just a matter of figuring out, okay, how do I translate those leading anchors into copy that's going to make sense and match the tone of voice for what my product does?
1: Brilliant. Oh, wow. This was i this was easily one of my favorite episodes, uh, genuinely. And, and the reason is simple. You guys have taken a very complex topic, positioning, messaging, storytelling. You've added a disciplined approach to getting it right. And as such, when you anchor with things that resonate with your market people are going to take action. So I appreciate both of you thoroughly enjoyed this. All the best as you build out Fletch PMM.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Market If you liked what you heard, please share it with someone you think would enjoy it. Want to stay up to date on our latest episodes and more? Subscribe to our newsletter. The link is in the show notes. See you next time. The Market is presented by Pavilion, powered by Casted, and produced by Share Your Genius.